Well, welcome in, everybody. Alex Ferrario with you, along with Mike Claiborne. It is Claibs Online, and I am happy to be with my good friend, Mike Claiborne. And the best part about it is we're talking hockey tonight. And talking hockey, approaching playoffs, Claibs, and uh, reminiscing back from last year, the Stanley Cup playoffs and this world we're living in now, I don't think there's anything better than the opportunity to talk playoff hockey. Alex, I couldn't agree with you more, but more importantly, I'm ha happy you're part of what we do. Yeah. And uh, we, we've been good buddies for a long time, but you're right, talking hockey at this time. Well, this time of year, everybody's off. We talk, <laughs> well, even the free agents have been signed by now, but we're talking hockey and we're talking about everything, not just the Blues, because there's a lot of stuff going on in the NHL. And um, you are a trusted guy. You are a hockey mob guy. I know there's some other guys who think they are because they do this and do that. But you have put your, your time in and you are truly a guy that I know people certainly respect their your opinion and what you have to say. So we're going to have a good time with this. Yeah, we really are. I'm happy to be a contributor with Claves Online. And of course, I do pre and post game for the Blues, but all that started working out with Claves at uh, KMOX in the beginning. So let's start. And let's with throw this. Chris Kerber in it. Chris yeah. Kerber <laughs> is the man. You know, he has meant so much to so many. You know, we yeah. have a Mount Rushmore of, of broadcast mentors in St. Louis. He's first and foremost, but what he does for so many, and not only. Uh, the St. Louis Blues with so many young aspiring guys. Yeah. Uh, you can't forget him. I'll never forget it. Uh, it was my first opportunity to get into this business. Jeremy Rutherford, of course, the longtime beat writer for the Post-Dispatch of the Blues, he introduced me to Chris Kerber because Kerbs was looking for a booth assistant. And Kerbs brought me in and introduced me to Kelly Chase. And so I got the chance to sit down with both of them. And they, uh, they inducted me into the hockey broadcasting world. But the first time that I met Mike Claiborne, I walked into the broadcast booth before a game and you were doing pre and post and Curb said, Alex, Mike Claiborne, Mike Claiborne, Alex. And I'll never forget it. Claves, you turned to look to me and said, you like hockey, son? I said, yes, sir, I do. He goes, good. Let's make it happen. There you go. You're just sure <laughs> looking to have a good time, man. Yep. I mean, um, hanging out with Chaser and, Cur and Chaser is like, he's like family to me. I mean, I spent summers with him in Canada and, you know, when when he and Curbs not shake their head on a guy and they agree, then yep. it's all good from there. And they'll do whatever they want to do and, and look where you're going, look where you are, look where you're going to go. So it's great to have you on board. So where are we going to start this thing at, man? There's so much going on in the world of hockey. I guess should we, should we finally tip our cap to Gary Bettman on what that's he's where, been able to do? That's where I think we should start with this, Clays, because this is really the first time you and I have been able to talk and when you look at what the NHL has done, and today they came out with another report that said there was zero positive tests in this bubble. Now, they're testing these guys every day, and they come out with reports every week. So for three straight weeks, Claves, from the moment training camp ended in phase three for the NHL, now as we enter the first round of the actual postseason, zero positive test results. The NHL has done this bubble setup the best way possible. Well, you know, um, you're, you're right. And, and it's a tribute to the players also who bought in to make sure they did it the right way. And I don't know if you've been watching the NHL Network. They have these little vignettes about showing the behind the scenes of the bubble. And, man, it is incredible to see everybody on the same page. And I think what's even more intriguing about it, Donald Fear 
It's yep. the head of players association. And if anybody's ever heard the name Donald Fear, they may equate him to baseball, mm-hmm. where he was a hard ass. I mean, he <laughs> and whatever commissioner was there, he didn't have a problem rolling up the sleeves or dropping the gloves. And what he's been able to do for this union to give it credibility, to give it confidence in moving forward and being a partner with the NHL instead of an adversary is commendable. So while we, we give Gary Bettman credit, I think the fact that Gary Bettman has probably mellowed because he's broken this union before, but, you know, they became partners in this and the, the cooperation that, that both sides have given has been exemplary. And it is really a gold standard of how professional athletes deal with COVID in this country or in North America. Well, and that's the, big, the, the biggest thing with this, Klaibs, too, is seeing how the day-to-day life is for these players. The Blues put out a great video earlier this week of following Robert Thomas around when he's going into the morning tests that the players have to do, where they get the swab in the nose like everyone does to get those tests in. But from there, they go through other checkpoints as well in the NHL. And it, it, to me, it shows what Gary Bettman and Donald Fair and all of these members of the front office in the NHL, how they constructed this bubble setup life to a T. I mean, they yeah. give these, the players the freedoms of going into lounges and having the ability to go out and golf like they are in Toronto and they soon to be will in Edmonton, but to have it down to a T of to where they have their food at a certain time. They have their freedom at a certain time, but they're getting those medical tests at a certain time. It really sets up how the NHL put this from morning till night to allow this for these players. Yeah. And, and you know what? It's paying off. As you just mentioned with the nobody's positive. I will tell you this though, the birth rate for national hockey league players will go through the roof in about nine and a half months. Okay. We will, yep. we will have guys taking leaves of absence because they're going to have another kid. Because when they get home, there's some business to be handled. I can <laughs> promise you that. And I guess there's some talk about them maybe having families in as they get deeper into postseason. Yeah. Which will be a little bit of a challenge. So I hope that the league says, look, we are going to be your designated person for tickets and anything else you need while you're here. You don't want the players because the players have now conditioned themselves to, to be able to do a lot of things that include just hockey, not family, not anything else. So it will be interesting to see if the NHL, and I'm sure they thought about this, but man, you, you couldn't be happier for a league. Um, and I think the NBA has got a lot of things that feel yep. good about too with, with that, what they've done. I mean, it had they only had a chicken wing place on, on the Disney World, you know, they, they would have been fine. They could find out that recipe for Lou Will's yes, magic wings. Yeah. Well, Lou had some other things on his menu too, but the, the issue is that the players have bought into it. And, and when you look at hockey, and I think we've seen, we're seeing some pretty good hockey too, by the way. Yeah. Um, we're seeing guys dropping the gloves. We're seeing guys really playing the body. Uh, we're seeing some really good goaltending and we're seeing some teams who weren't in shape and ready to go. We're seeing them get exposed quickly. Uh, we've seen an executive lose his job. I don't think we'll see a coach lose his job, but I think it's a learning moment for everybody. And it's a motivating point for everyone. And when I think about this and we'll talk about matchups in, in a bit, 
you cannot ask for a better situation than Tampa and Columbus having a rematch. Oh, yeah. Now, even though with Tampa losing Hedman, you don't think that there's 20 other guys in that room? They don't even have to say a word about what happened last year. Uh, John Cooper doesn't have to write anything on the board about what happened the last time. If I'm Columbus, boy, I better be ready to dig in and hold on because that Tampa bunch is really talented. And I think a guy like Maroon even makes them better when it comes to being in the dressing room. But we're going to have some incredible matchups. I think the one I'm at, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, that Philadelphia, Montreal. Yeah. I'm going to tell everybody this. If you don't think these two teams have some history, just Google Philadelphia Flyer, Montreal Canadian Brawls. And that's all I need to say. Yep. That's I mean, they've had anybody. some Lulus over the years, man. And I don't know if we'll have it this time because when you look at both teams, they, neither one has a real enforcer. But this, is the, this may be the most golden time in the history of hockey. And while well, COVID has been so bad to so many, it may have given us the best level of competition we're going to see. Well, and I think that's also what you have to applaud the NHL for, Claves, of coming up with something new that we've never seen before. Mm -hmm. Of course, of these play-in games and having the round robin, but on top of it also having the qualifying rounds for these eight extra teams that weren't supposed to be in the playoffs, you're putting new focus onto the NHL playoff format on top of adding new markets into it so people can get more of a taste of NHL playoffs because you and I both know, the casual hockey fan knows, there's nothing like playoff hockey. So the NHL yeah. should be applauded for the way that they put that first play-in round together. Well, and, and, here, and you, you are so right. And here's where I would go even one step further. The play-in teams have, they're normally very young. They normally have a top draft choice. That's going to be the future of the game at some point. This is a great opportunity for that person to get some exposure so people can now pay attention to him because he's short. He's, he's, he's a few players short on his team, but he stands out. And when you look at those sort of teams and you look at the individuals, you say, all right, that's a team I might want to pay closer attention to next year. So the NHL did a lot of things right, and they continue to do it. But I think the fact that they've introduced – their, their future to a lot of fans. And now some of those teams didn't make it, but we saw enough of them to say, all right, I remember this kid when COVID was over, uh, when the reset button was pushed and, and he, he stood out. So that, that's a good thing. I, you know, the NHL has always worked hard to give its players exposure. They just didn't know how, uh, because, you know, they got a helmet on, they got a face shield, and it's hard to recognize them. Uh, but this was a good situation for them. And, and I hope that they take some of the things that they're learning from this and apply it to the way they do business in the future. Let's talk about those teams that aren't in the playoffs anymore right now. Of course, the teams in the qualifying round, Claves, that got bounced. This is conspiracy theory Ferrario on this end. <laughs> There were eight teams that had 12.5% chance of getting the first overall draft pick in the NHL draft, which took place Monday night. And I, it came down to me two teams that were going to get it because the NHL needs to see these franchises succeed. One was the Toronto Maple Leafs, who, of course, have plenty of offense, but they've also been uh, 
been shut out from second round or longer playoff streaks. In 53 a very- years. They've gone longer than the Blues. They are the Chicago Cubs of hockey now. 16 years since getting past the first round of the playoffs. I mean, there is a curse going on in Toronto. Mm-hmm. But the team that won the first overall draft pick, which to me was the smartest thing when it came to the NHL finding a way to fix the draft, was giving that first overall pick to the New York Rangers. Interesting you use that word, fix the draft. And I'm going to go back to 1985 when the NBA was struggling to find someone to play in New York. And all of a sudden, here's a Patrick Ewing and the New York Knicks win the lottery. And all of a sudden, Patrick Ewing gets drafted. Now, the reason why I say that is because there was this young assistant uh, commissioner in the NBA. His name was Gary... Gosh, Gary Bettman. Oh, there it is. And I, I find the similarities so eerie because Bettman was part of that draft uh, class too as yep. far as how the Knicks just happened to stumble on him, the best player in the draft. And I'm sure there's some people who are going to cry foul on this, but I think we have to remind ourselves that he's going to a pretty good team. Yeah. There's just a player too short now. They got some decisions to make. Lundquist is probably history. Uh, and there's some other people, but you know, Vigneault knows what he's doing, and some, and they've got some good talent. So, but overall, I think it was good for the league. And you're absolutely right. Well, it's a big market. It's the Big Apple, and you put the Rangers back in playoff consideration, and I think that's huge for the NHL. And I mean, I just, I throw conspiracy theory out there, Clays, because if you look at what happened with the Pittsburgh Penguins Mm -hmm. and Chris Kerber talks about the story all the time, the team that was potentially going to be gone from the NHL, it was going to new uh, to a new city. And then next thing, you know, the Pittsburgh Penguins get the first overall draft pick, which turns out to be Sidney Crosby and Pittsburgh becomes one of the strongest franchises in the national hockey league. Yeah, you're right. And you know what? I, I don't know if I really, object to that as much as some would uh, it's for the betterment of the league. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's, what's more important because let's face it. If a Crosby goes to some outpost town, or if this Lafreniere goes somewhere, like give me a team that just, you know, I mean, Minnesota, he's going to Arizona. Yeah. Arizona, Minnesota. Minnesota. Yeah. Nobody cares. Right. And he just mired, he's mired away to the point where he either signs as a free agent or they use him in a trade somewhere down the road. Mm-hmm. So in this situation, it gives the league a conversation piece. Let's face it. If Lafreniere was drafted by Minnesota, would you and I even be spending this much time on him? I don't think so. But it's the Rangers. And yeah. not that the Rangers are like a gold standard. I mean, think about the last time they won. Right. But it is New York. And New York moves up a couple of pages in the sports section. Uh, They're competing now with the Knicks to see who's going to finish behind the Mets and the Yankees. So it's a good thing for them. It's a good thing for the league. Well, and right now the league's, uh, they're they're going off of that, Claves, but they catapult from our Monday night's draft into the first round of the playoffs, which you mentioned it. There are some outstanding matchups that are set up right now in the NHL. And honestly, let me just throw it at you. Which one sticks out to you the most? We'll talk Blues and Canucks, but I'm curious which one sticks out to you the most. That's a great question. Um, in the East, I, I love what Philadelphia is doing, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, well, we had a chance to visit with Kevin Weeks, and he said, hey, do not count out the Flyers. 
I'm a huge Canadian fan. I, I'm a guy that when I was a kid, I loved the Canadians. Maybe because they were winning, but they had so many good players. And they, you know, by the way, you know, the Canadians are the last team in the National Hockey League to win a Stanley Cup with all North American players. Really? The last time they won the Cup, it was That's all North American players. We'll never see that again. Right. Uh, the Islanders and Capitals will be a scuffle in the East, too. Uh, and I don't think there's a weak matchup. We already talked about Tampa and what they have at stake. You know, the Bruins in Carolina just shows up, you know, as Don Cherry said, just a bunch of jerks. <laughs> they just show up and have fun. And the Bruins have not played well mm -hmm. since we returned. So I think over in the East, there's not one matchup that you, you shouldn't take your eye off of. Uh, over in the West, you know, Chicago is, is sneaky good. You know, they, you know everybody kind of gave up on the coach, and they had to make some salary decisions on some players. Uh, they're going to go as far as Crawford can take them. Arizona's scary because Arizona can skate like Colorado, although Colorado's got more guys that can skate. Mm -hmm. Calgary will demolish Den Dallas. Oh, yeah. I think I that's think, four I, games. I think that'll be over with in four, no more than five. Yep, I agree. And I think the Blues have to get off to a good start against Vancouver because, you know what, they don't – they look around and say, gosh, hey, we're in the playoffs. They're young. <laughs> They're skilled, they skate, they play the body. They have no winning experience. They don't know how to win. So I think that may come across to hurt them before it's all over with. But when you look at every matchup in the playoffs, there's not one matchup that I think is a walkover with the exception of Calgary and Dallas. Um, I go back to the East. That Islander capital matchup? Yeah. Whew. Barry Trotz versus former team. And, and he knows everybody on that team. Yep. And I know, I'll tell you a guy, and I was watching the uh, Caps the other day, and you may not like him, but Tom Wilson's made yep. himself into a pretty good player. Yeah. And the Islanders have enough size and toughness to, to counter him. And they love to get him off the ice, you know, because he kind of rides shotgun for Ovechkin. But they'd love to get him off the ice. And they've got a couple of guys that might make it interesting for him. But uh, I'm going to go back to that Flyer-Canadian matchup. That, that's going to be interesting because if you're the Canadians and Bergerman is their general manager, and, you know, you, you got to say, hey, we got to get some tradition in our room. We got to let guys know we are the Montreal Canadians. And this is what we've done to the Flyers in the past. And we, we got more cups than anybody. Now, in, in a lot of cases, a lot of guys weren't even born when the Canadians won their last Stanley Cup. So they right. like, well, let me call home and ask my parents about you guys. I don't know anything about you. But it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup goes. Um, Chicago doesn't have a tough guy. Mm -hmm. So what does Ryan Reeves do when nobody wants to go? I, I guess he just start, continues to run people, but they're deep. Uh, Flurry's a good goalie. He's at the end of the trail. They've got a good guy behind him. Uh, that's going to be a good series. But they're all good series. But I, yeah. think, I think the Arizona-Colorado will be one that you might want to pay attention to because Arizona's just good enough to make Colorado maybe flinch. Yeah. You know, and how they deal with it after that, we'll see. There's two series that stick out to me, Claves. The one in the east – are the Carolina Hurricanes and Boston Bruins. Mm -hmm. And we already talked a little bit about the Columbus Blue Jackets and Tampa kind of 
renewing their old rivalry from last year in the first round where Columbus bounced Tampa. But Carolina was a team that felt like they had something special last year, and Boston just kind of took it to them after Carolina's kind of miracle run. And to me, I think Rod the Bod has that roster so ready to play, yeah. and they have a top line right now of, of Sebastian Ajo and Alex or, uh, Svechnikov, who kind of broke out in the qualifying round. That's a series that I'm really interested in watching. The other one is the Arizona Coyotes and Colorado one, Claves. Mm-hmm. I think everyone's expecting Colorado to walk away with that one as easy as can be. Watching them play that first round, Darcy Kemper is a factor right now. Goaltending seems to be a factor going into this first round for a lot of teams. Yeah. But Arizona's got this mix of these young players who have something to prove, but these other guys who are kind of at the tail end of their careers of a Phil Kessel, a Taylor Hall, they just got a right right recipe right now that I think could really disappoint Colorado. And Rick Tockett is a guy that, from what I understand with Joe Vitale. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you something. He's Craig Berube. He will make you run through a wall. For yeah, him. he's Craig Berube. I mean, I they played the same style when they played. Um, you know, when I when I, I knew I know Tox a little bit, but when when I saw him get another chance, because you know he had that one issue where he was implicated in a, a gambling thing, and I wasn't sure if he's going to get another chance. Mm-hmm. But he is Craig. He's this year's version of Craig Berube. I agree. And why, as you mentioned, he's got just enough veterans to show guys how to win. Uh, the the kids listen to him and the veterans have bought into him. Yeah. So they could be a team. Yeah, I agree with you, man. You know, they start knocking Colorado around a little bit. Who I'm not sure what Colorado has to re, to return it, return yeah. the favor. So, you know, that is a series to pay certainly pay attention to. Well, you just give a team confidence, right? Like a team mm-hmm. gets confidence. It's what the Blues did last year. I mean, Winnipeg could have easily closed out a couple of games if it wasn't for Jaden Schwartz scoring with five seconds left in, I think that was game four or game five that he did that. Winnipeg could have walked out with that series easily. But it's confidence from one game that kind of sets you up. And for Arizona, I think that confidence came in those qualifying rounds, Clave. So they were a team that I wanted to stay away from. And I think I said that with you, Kevin Weeks, and Jeremy Rutherford. You did, yeah. Um, And, you know, Lo and behold, they get through Nashville, and I think they're going to give Colorado um, some some fits going into this first round. So let's talk about the matchup that hits close to home, and that's the St. Louis Blues, Claves. Before we get into this year on ice, I want to talk with you a little bit about the history of these two teams because growing up, I hated watching the Blues play the Vancouver Canucks. It goes back to that first playoff series that these two teams dropped the puck where you had – Jeff Cortnall and Jeff Brown on the Canuck side and Brett Hall and Brendan Shanahan in the 90s. And then, of course, you had Bertuzzi and Nasland in 03. And then in 08, 09, it was the Sedin brothers. So you've had different genres. Brothers or sisters, which I I couldn't tell most nights. I wanted to say sisters, but I also wanted to be respectful. (laughs) But let's be honest here. Who cares, man? It's It's the playoffs. Yeah, it's the playoffs. It's the internet. We don't give a shit. How about that? (laughs) I love that. The part that gets me, though, Claves, the Blues have never been able to beat Vancouver in the playoffs before. Yeah, you know what? They've always been a team that was emerging, and they always had a couple of players that were thorn in their side. But the the problem I felt was couldn't win in Vancouver. 
Yeah, the you travel know, now is we're rough. on neutral surface, so that that might have an impact. I'm of the belief because of their youth that they may be missing something. Uh, but you know, I I love Horvath. I I love their captain. Uh, Pedersen, who I know got a lot of interest last year, was rookie of the year. I felt, and I, I even tweeted, I said, how can you give him rookie of the year when he's watching the playoffs on TV because right. the guy who's in the playoffs is, is uh, ben, Bennington. He's the reason why the Blues are in the finals. Right. So I think there's going to be something to be proven there. But they have some good talent. They're physical. They're, they're, you know, they kind of remind you of the Blues a little bit. You know, they can play a heavy game too, but they skate a little better, I think. Um, but I think the fact that they don't have the experience of postseason could be a factor. Um, and the other thing is they don't have the fans behind them. They just got to go out and play. So the question is, will they treat this like a, a junior B tournament that they most of these kids were playing in two or three years ago? Or will they treat this like a professional game of the National Hockey League where, you know, fans have come into play, you know, buildings are so important in yeah. postseason. So without the building behind them, you know, how are they going to play? Now, the good thing about them is they've had some experience with four games. But even, you know, even with that said, there's still some, some proving that they have to do. But I'm going to use a football reference here. Bum Phillips, former coach in the NFL for a number of years, talked about pep talks and emotion. And Bum Phillips said, you know, pep talks and emotion last about as long as until you get the shit knocked out of you. And then all of a sudden you're trying to figure out what to do next. And I think that that's what we're dealing with with Vancouver. You know, they're all high and they're glad to be in the playoffs and all that. But if somebody smokes one of those guys, then maybe we got a different tournament. Yeah. But if they turn around and start knocking the blues around and then all of a sudden the blues retaliate with a bad penalty. And remember, this is the fourth best power play in the league. Right. You know, you cannot take a bad penalty here. So that's something that they have to really be careful of and not let them fall into uh, a game of what Vancouver wants to dictate, even if they don't know how to dictate it. I'm glad you brought that up, Claves, because to me there's two areas that are going to be significant in this series. One is goaltending, because if you look at how Markstrom and Demko played the Blues in their regular season – or played – yeah, played the Blues in their regular season series – those games came down to the last moment mm -hmm. every single game. But the other one is special teams. And watching what took place in the first round, the round robin, the qualifying round, officials are loose with their lips right now on those whistles. I mean, they are calling every little thing that takes place on the ice. And Curbs and Joey gave this stat on the broadcast against the Dallas Stars. So through nine periods of round robin play for the Blues – they had 17 penalties called against them. Ten of those 17 penalties were stick infractions. Yeah. Whether it was, well, that's lazy hockey, though. Yeah, and that's fatigue. Yeah. And against a fast team like Vancouver, mm -hmm. if you don't have your legs underneath you, you will be taking penalties, and two penalties can put you down by two goals against this Canucks team. You are absolutely right. And, and that's a great stat about the stick penalties. And that's just lazy hockey. You yeah. know, you're either not in shape or you're not working hard. You're not, if you're using your stick, that means you're not using your, your legs. Right. And, and that's what we, we ran into uh, in this most recent series. So I don't know if, if they're playing themselves in the shape. Because I saw a lot of guys coasting. 
especially uh, in the third period. It looked yeah. like they were gassed. Yeah, and, and nobody was willing to get to the middle of the rink and get mm-hmm. in the middle in the dirty area to try and score goals. So, um, I, I'm I'm concerned about the fact that if they think they can just show up and throw the sticks and gloves on the ice because they're the Stanley Cup champions, they're going to go home quick. Mm-hmm. Um, if they don't know how to pl- make a play, play the body, make a guy pay for a pass, um, they're going to have a real tough time. You mentioned the goaltending. You know, we don't we didn't see the Blues. Blues didn't see this team a lot, so they don't. You know, this is you can go on video all you want, but you better have a feel for what these guys can do. Right. So I think of all the teams in the first round, I think the Blues have their hands full with this team more than anybody else. Now, the other teams, we talked about Arizona, we talked about Chicago, uh, they can be a challenge. Right. I think Vancouver matches up well, if not better than St. Louis Blues. The only thing the Blues have going for them is experience. Uh, and they're versatile. I mean, they've got four lines that, that you can throw out there. None of them can score with any regularity. And that's a concern. So they're going to have to find something from each line in order to really take the steam out of Vancouver's sales. Well, in Vancouver offensively, you know, they've upgraded. It's not just some of these younger guys. You Mm -hmm. mentioned Pedersen. You got Horvat. You have um, Brock Besser. But you also have some guys like a JT Miller, who they acquired in the offseason from Tampa. This was a guy who led their team in points in the regular season. But on top of that, it's the defensive side of this one, Claves, for Vancouver. And this is the part that's interesting to me. They were a team that didn't really have defense for, for the longest time. Uh, and Alex Edler was their guy that was captaining that blue line, and he's been there forever, it feels like. But they go out and they make a couple of offseason moves. They bring in Tyler Myers, who the Blues know from the Winnipeg Jets days. Big they guy, have a, covers a lot of ground, bigger yes. version than Pareko. Not Big. as skilled, but you know what? He's he's had a serviceable career when you think about him breaking in in Buffalo, having a good time in Winnipeg. But, you know, he's a guy that can kill penalties. He's a guy that can, can really make life difficult for the other team's best forward. And he could get nasty, too, in the blue line. Mm-hmm. There's some physical play yeah. that he'll do. Uh, there's another one. Christopher Tanev is a guy who can play the physical. He reminds me a lot of what Joel Edmondson was for the Blues last year in their playoff run. But I'm going to mention one ga- one name, Klaibs, that I think is going to be a factor for Vancouver that the Blues need to be ready for, and that's Antoine Roussel. Good call. We, talked, good about, call. we yeah. talked about this guy. he's kind of had the Blues number the in Dallas the Stars. He yeah. was a Dallas Stars. He You're was right. a pest. He got under their skin. He would get you in the corners and make you take – He'd give you the business. He'd yes. make you take a bad penalty. He could score the occasional goal, mm-hmm. um, and, and he and he's going to sit in that dressing room and tell these other kids, "Hey, this is how we need to play these guys." Yeah, and I think I think the Blues are going to be missing Pat Maroon because of a player like that, somebody yeah. who can be that threat on the ice of saying, "Hey, you mess with us, I'm going to be stepping up." And that's the one thing that I've always been concerned about for, with the Blues. They don't have a guy up front. Mm-hmm. They don't have a guy up front that can grab a guy and say, hey, knock it off. And right. even if it's the playoffs, and I think the playoffs, we will see more guys, I think, go. Uh, we saw it since they, you know, pushed the reset button. We had some good scraps. Yeah. And I think if you want to set the tone like they used to, you go out and find a guy, and you go out and get a guy who you least expected, and you, you say, hey, if I give it to him, just think what I'm going to do to somebody else on this team. 
Right. So I don't know how far we'll go. I, I think the officials will have a lot to say about that. And there's something as we talk about officiating, because if it's hockey, you can't you know forget about it. <laughs> no. But I've always felt like the first round was the hardest round to officiate because you have a couple of sets of referees that probably shouldn't be there. Yeah. But because of the playoffs are extended, they have to put them out there. And if you notice, the officiating gets better with fewer teams. Right. So I think it's incumbent upon the NHL to make sure that, well, they, they're going to tell you all these guys are good. <laughs> but to have good officials to make sure they set the tone and say, boys, we're going to let you play. You're going to be on the honor system here. But if you get out of hand, we're going to stick you. Yeah. So And the Blues have to know what that temperature level is to make sure they don't take it one step beyond and take a bad penalty. And all of a sudden, as we talked about putting Vancouver on the power play, and, and that, that's something I'm concerned about because if there's one guy who really struggles right now, and, he, and we, you know, I keep thinking he's going to turn this around, but Joel, Joel, uh, Justin Falk, yeah, he just looks slow. I mean, he just looks like he's indecisive. So he's a guy I don't know if you can have out on a power play, uh, uh, you know, trying to kill a penalty. Yeah. Because he's always going to be caught in between. Should I go out and block or should I stay back and try and make sure nobody's on the weak side looking for a rebound? He just always looks like he's in between and making decisions. And you cannot have guys like that out there against a good Vancouver team who moves the puck that well. He's a dark horse for me in this series because he was so ineffective in the regular season for the team. And he talked a lot about it during the season and when things were paused and started back up about how, you know, he didn't play up to his standards. It was still trying to get that feel of where he was falling in line of a Stanley Cup championship team. But if I go back and watch Justin Falk in the playoffs last year with Carolina Claves, he was one of the most noticeable players on the ice for the Hurricanes because he was in the offense and he could exit his own zone as a defenseman very well. The problem I think so that just the problem I think with Justin Falk is he he can't be that offensive number one defenseman on this team because you have a Pareko, you have a Petrangelo, and then when it comes down to it, Justin Falk's playing 15, maybe 16 minutes a night and doesn't have that opportunity to be that quarterback yeah, on the offense. And, and you know what? And, and I've heard that. And, and I think there's some truth to it. <clears throat> How about being the best offensive guy on your shift? Yeah. Don't worry about the other four guys. Be well, the best shift, guy on your shift. His shift, though, is with Vince Dunn. And if you got two guys that want to be the offensive weapons. So, you know what? Here's where good, good chemistry works. Um, if you see you got the if – if your defense partner sees you have the puck and mm -hmm. you're going to jump into play, then you know where you need to be. Right. You know, and, and you show me a great offensive defenseman, and I'm going to show you a good defense partner who, who covered uh, the back door more or less and was in position. Uh, so whoever Dunn is with, and as you mentioned, if it's Vince, I mean, if it's Vince Dunn with Falk, those guys just got, hey, if I got it, I'm going. Right. You know, and if I, if I got it on this side of the ice, I'm going. If I yeah. don't, I'm going to give it up, and you, you make the jump. Mm -hmm. But they've got to be able to talk about it, and they've got to be able to know where they're going to be. And that's the problem that you run into when you juggle defense pairings so much because yeah. everybody takes it differently. 
But I, I think that he's got to just play, man. Quit thinking. Just go play. You know, more guys get themselves in trouble because they overthink the game because, A, there's too much information for them to disseminate, and, B, they become too mechanical. You're here for a reason. You have skill. You have, in, you have instinct. Utilize those things. Trust your skill set. Jump up into play. And if you're a good player and your defense partner knows what you're doing, then he's going to cover you. And that, and that weak side forward is going to come back a little bit deeper too. So, I mean, but everybody's got to be on the same page on that. Yeah. Final thing, Klaibs, I want to talk with you about for this matchup against the Canucks. The biggest question I think I have going into this series is where the offense is going to come from for St. Louis. That's a great question. If, if you look through I the round robin. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I don't think Craig Berube does right now either. Those three round robin games, you had a one power play goal in the first game against Colorado. You scored four against Vegas. Flurry didn't have a great game in that one. I mean, watching the game, the, he was not good. Those goals I don't think would happen in a, in a seven-game series. I agree. And then you score the one goal with Robert Thomas against the Dallas Stars. Without Ivan Barbashev on this team, to me, you lose an effective line that you had throughout the playoffs last year. So – other guys are going to have to step up to create some offense. And I wouldn't be surprised, Klaibs, if we see Craig Berube try and experiment a little bit and see if Tarasenko and Thomas can create some chemistry together. It's a good combination. Uh, they can both skate. They're both creative. Uh, I think Tarasenko is only as good as the people he plays with who, yeah. who get him the puck in good situations. I'm going to throw another name at you. And – you know, I almost forgot he was on the team until they dusted him off. Troy Brower yeah. has played well. And, you know, while he's not the, the skilled player that Barbashev is, but if you're looking for a little grit, a little sandpaper, a guy that's going to make you an honest player on the fourth line, Troy Brower is that guy. Yeah. Now, does he give him a chance? I say, yeah, because McEachern has shown me nothing. Mm-hmm. He's given up on uh, Cairo. Yeah. We haven't seen Costin. So, you know, the playoffs are made for veterans. So I, I think Troy Brower is a guy, and he can, he can come up with an occasional goal too. Yeah. Uh, I think I would keep an eye on him, and I think he's a guy that just got to be in the regular four-line rotation. I don't think you can sit him too often. But it, it's interesting. We're talking about the Stanley Cup champions, and we're talking about who's going to be on the fourth line. Right. You know, and, and maybe Steen finds a spark. I mean, you know, Steen still is fundamentally sound as any player on the team. Definitely. I, I, you know, his, his skill set is kind of eroded a little bit. But, you know, in a short series where if he can make a short series and gets the right amount of ice time in the right matchup, he'll make somebody either take a bad penalty or he'll be in position to score a goal or get a good assist when somebody took him for granted. I'm glad you said Troy Brower's name, Claves. Because uh, Joe Vitale, of course, of the broadcast team with Chris Kerber, gave a great analysis in Brower's game that he played against the Vegas Golden Knights, and it's called the Cal Clutterbuck effect. And if people recognize oh that name, yep. Joe you know, tells you know Clutterbuck was Bob Basson before yep. anybody. You know, he Bob Basson was the same way. Just just a pain in the butt to play against. Yeah. And, but you, you had to respect him because he had the ability to score a goal or two from time to time. Well, and Joe Vitale tells the great story was when the Minnesota Wild 
beat the Arizona Coyotes in the first round of the playoffs, and they sent him home. And Joe says that Shane Doan, the captain at the time, comes in the locker room and says, guys, look at Cal Clutterbuck on the ice. What did he do tonight? Didn't have a goal, didn't have an assist, didn't do anything, but he was effective. And Joe Vitale said it, even if you're not on the score sheet, you need to be effective for your team to, to, to show some energy and momentum for your guys. And Brower did that in that Vegas game, Claves. Mm-hmm. He took a penalty against Nate Schmidt in the offensive zone, and Schmidt took a penalty as well, and it was four on four. But Brower took the best defensive player on that team to the penalty box for two minutes. And as Joe Vitale painted on the broadcast, that's the best thing a Troy Brower can do in a hockey game. Well, I'm going to go more recent. And if you remember that blue Chicago series of a few yeah. years ago, that's, that was Steve Ott. That's exactly what he, it was. He got in uh, – what, what's the captain's name? He got in his head. Taves. He got in Jonathan Taves' head so bad that he was taking penalties against Ott of all people, and Ott was chirping, <laughs> and he got him off his game. I don't even know if Ott was on the score sheet. And I, every time I see him, I said, man, you know, they, they owe you for that series. I mean, you know, you were terrific. And, and you got to have that guy in the playoffs. Yeah. You really do. And as you mentioned, with Barbashev not around, somebody's got to assume that role because if you get too many guys who feel like they're at the country club, they'll be playing at the country club in about a week. So you yeah. got you got to make sure that somebody's willing to make that commitment, and and maybe it's going to be Troy Brower. Well, hell, maybe Steve Ott can uh, do some chirping on the bench for the. But team. he's the best chirper, period. Oh yeah, you know I, I was giving him uh, grief last year. We were in Florida. This is when the Blues were just about to turn the corner. And they were really soft. And I said, you know, it's amazing. You and you and Baruby <laughs> and even Van Ryan have more penalty minutes in your career than this whole team does. <laughs> and he kind of thought about it. So I saw him after the game. He said, you know what? I looked it up and you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, and it wasn't because of Van Ryan, by the way, you know. But yeah. the point being, you have to have a guy who does something. Uh, and you're right. You don't have to be in a score sheet. But everybody knows he was playing on your team that night. Yeah. And and maybe it's maybe it's Brower. Maybe it'll be somebody else that that decides they want to you know, maybe it could be a Zach Sanford. Uh there's some other guys who would be candidates for that. Yeah. But you know, either way it works, they're gonna have to have a guy do that because I can promise you, Alex, what do you think it'll take two games for we figure out who the chief punk is for Vancouver Canucks? I think it's gonna take two periods. Well, Roussel's in the clubhouse with the lead. I think yeah. we've agreed on that. Yeah. But I, I think that there's going to be another guy that's going to really get under the skin of the Blues. I agree. And, and again, because we don't see this team very often, uh, it, it's going to take maybe an extra game to feel out who's who. But when they do, oh, my goodness. Yeah. This is going to be an outstanding series, these two teams going head-to-head. The first time they've they've played each other in the playoffs – in over 10 years. I think this is the first time that Vancouver's been in the playoffs since 2015. Mm. So they're going to have some, uh, they're going to have some desire to get out there and uh, pull out a victory and knock off the best in the Stanley cup champs. Well, I hope the next victory they get will be in December in 2020. I like that idea. Claves. You know this was a lot of fun getting to talk hockey with you. Hey, man. we'll do it again. We got the oh, yeah. playoffs rolling around, man. We are going and to. I'm looking and I'm, forward to seeing what else you have to contribute because I know you you follow the game as well as anybody and with yeah. the job you're doing on uh, on ESPN and with Chris and Joey and everybody, it's a phenomenal way you guys are doing things. 
So between there and here, uh, I hope your wife understands that we're about to – well, you've already got your playoff beard going, so we can That's forget yep. about that. Yep. But uh, this is our time of the year, and I'm looking forward to doing it, and I'm glad you're part of what we do. I'm excited too, Claves. I've already kind of put together a couple Ferrari 05s, which you are the mastermind behind. So uh, we're going we're gonna to have a lot more of those throughout the postseason. Right. I'll be joining you and in, in company uh, on Claves Online an awful lot as well. So I'm excited to get into this postseason run and maybe another Stanley Cup championship for Claves Online. I, I can live with that. I can live with it. Claves, <laughs> thank you so much. My pleasure, man. There you go. Mike Claiborne, I'm Alex Ferrario. Thanks for joining us. I'm sure you'll be hearing a lot of us moving forward for Stanley Cup playoffs. Blues and Canucks start Wednesday right here on Claves Online. We love talking to the president and chairman of Ameren, Illinois. He is Richard Mark. Emergency Operations Center acts as kind of a central command center, and everything is dictated from there. They tell the crews that are out in the field where to go, where the main breakers are to go to to de-energize the line, and then they verify that that line is closed, and they're able to tell five, six, seven hundred people that are working out in the field exactly where to go to make the proper repairs to get our system back on in a storm situation. 